Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Nick Fogel, co-founder of Chernkey. In this episode, we talked about what Nick hated about being a lawyer so much that he decided to take a job as a shuttle driver and learn how to code between rides. We also discussed the moment he realized his first startup was about to hit its growth ceiling due to extremely high churn, how they optimized their offboarding flow for attention, and finally, how this experience motivated him to launch Chernkey and help other companies with churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, Nick is a lawyer turned SaaS founder and the co-founder of Churnkey, a SaaS cancellation flow builder to help you retain more customers. Prior to Churnkey, Nick was the co-founder of Wave. And my first question for you today, Nick, is what is it about being a lawyer that you hated so much you decided to take a job as a shuttle driver? You do the same thing pretty much every day, you're going to go in and, and I was doing transactional law and yeah. specifically residential home purchases. And you are literally doing the same contracts, the same drafts, dealing with the same arguments every single day. The other thing about it is you, when you create something, I love being creative. You're creating a contract. There's not much room for creativity there. You create something and you only ever see the value of what you've done. If things blow up and later your contractual language saves somebody. Yeah, I, I moved to being a, a shuttle driver because I'd always been this computer nerd, never really thought about making money from it. And I really wanted to create something of my own. And as soon as I started working in code and, and learning how to um, write computer code, I realized I could create something right then and immediately get feedback. So the, the biggest difference is the feedback loop. You get, you create something, something new that people can use and you can immediately get feedback rather than in law, you may never get feedback. And there's also not much room for creativity. And everything's pretty defined cookie cuts model. Like you're just going with the motion. Yeah, and exactly. And if you get too creative, you're opening yourself to risk and opening the firm to risk. Exactly. Yeah. I see. I could see how that for, especially for an entrepreneur being like the bane of existence, just doing the same yes, thing. Exactly. So you, you mentioned something before the show that was really interesting as well. It's like between shuttle drives, you would pull out your laptop from under your seat and just start learning to code and learning to program. What was that like in the early days? Yeah, it was stressful. And just for background, we, it, it was really the only job I could find at the time. This was 2012. We had 
I decided I didn't want to do law. So I did a housing wanted ad on Craigslist because we couldn't afford our rent. And we moved out to a rural area where we found this you know, house that was a decent rent with utilities included. The only job anywhere nearby was a shuttle driver at a resort. I was trying to teach myself to code, but I was having to work long hours. And I realized that I could pull my laptop out, get on Codecademy between pickups. And sometimes I'd have 15 to 20 minutes to learn something. And I just, when you're, when you go from being a lawyer and having this financial potential in front of you to making minimum wage and are moving backwards, it's an incredible incentive to force you to learn and to change and acquire a new skill set. So it was a very stressful time, but I'd say I was probably doing that for six to nine months. And in that time, I became good enough to get a job at a, at a software company as an intern. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I think a lot of people say don't become an entrepreneur to get rich. Like you got to do it for the love because it typically is the case. If you look at the opportunity cost of what you would be able to earn and the earning power, like it's specific jobs. Like I look at myself now as a founder earning not even a tenth of what we were before, like starting the business. And probably that's going to be the same situation for the next five to 10 years. But if you add it up in the end, probably you would have ended up making more money on the one side, or at least the guarantee is probably a lot higher there. But just having the freedom and flexibility to like the things you said as well, like being able to build something, to be able to get creative, to put your energy into something, seeing that feedback looping, be able to think. I think that's probably the most rewarding thing, at least for me, is like having that energy and excitement on a daily basis to see, okay, like you had an idea of a, a way you could solve a problem. You quickly put together a solution and you actually saw that come to fruition. I think it is, but then it definitely is a big motivator, like trying to get that back, like seeing, okay, what you, you would have had and uh, where you want to be. Yeah. I, I love that mentality. I, one of my favorite quotes is this quote that goes, people tend to overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. And uh, I was like really depressed and down in my luck back in 2012, like starting over from scratch with $200,000 in student loans at 8% interest accruing like $50 a day. Didn't know what I was going to do. And I started listening to these old... Um, I, Tony Robbins, if you're listening to this, please don't sue me. But I was, I pirated some Tony Robbins, like inspirational DVDs. And he had that quote on there and a lot of other like positivity quotes. And I just tried to change my mindset and focus on, okay, if I start building this foundation, where could I be in 10 years? And I'm almost 10 years from there. And it's amazing. I definitely have my 10 year income has exceeded what I would have made as an attorney. And I'm finally starting to see the, the dividends from, you know, that five, five years of again. basically making nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, that reminded me as well of another quote that like, one of my friends used to push back at, or used to, he still does, is when you people say like life is short and they have this mentality, but then the flip side of it, it's also the longest thing you'll ever have. Mm. So when you, you flip the coin and the, your viewpoint on it, it really gets you thinking a little bit, okay, what can you do with this time that you have and stop thinking like short term all the time and just having that balance between yes, being spontaneous, yes, doing things uh, and like uh, being creative and going out there, but then also thinking, okay, what does the future look like? Where do I want to go and planning for that effectively, like really helps you set you on the right path. So. Yeah, when you think of something like uh, like going to Mars, I, I hate always you know using Elon Musk's example because he's so overused in, in entrepreneurship. But if you're looking long term, I mean that vision to go to Mars that's a 10, 20, 30 year vision. And most people, you know, they're like, oh, life is short. I, that's not possible in my lifetime, so I'm not going to go for it. Yeah. For sure. But then when you hit it, like it's really meaningful, impactful. Cool. So let's dive into a little bit about the experience now. Fast forward, you've uh, learned how to code, you've experimented with ideas, you're starting to build a business and uh, you launch Wave. Maybe talk us through a little bit about Wave, what it is, what you were doing there, what you still do there. Yeah. 
Yeah. So our initial vision was we're going to be this big social media company. This was 2015 when we first launched and we were like, oh yeah, we're going to be like the next Twitter or the next Reddit. Basically our initial product was to be an audio version of Reddit. It's actually now that Clubhouse is out, it's actually what we built was similar to Clubhouse. I think we were just too early, but anyway, we tried the venture thing. I probably spent a thousand hours of dev time. We were never able to raise money. Me and and Baird, my co-founder, were working side gigs and burning through savings. And I had $200,000 in loans that I was not paying. And they were, it ended up getting up to 250,000 over the two years that I was trying to build this first version of, of Wave. We actually called it Utalk. That product was was called Utalk. We got a trademark infringement uh, letter, and then we had to change to we changed it to Wave, which is a much better name. And we ended up selling off the assets this this other product. And in the the final days of that startup, before we just threw in the towel and raised the white flag, we were like, ah, let's try one more hail mary. So I pulled an all nighter, and I found this GitHub project that was I think it was WMIC. They were creating an, a tool that lets you convert audio into video. This was the original audiogram. And nobody had commercialized it yet or made it user-friendly. So I was like, what the hell, let's give this thing a shot. And we're going to do this to promote our community's content in an effort to like seed more interest. And it didn't work. But we got a lot of people saying, hey, how do you make those? How do you make these? How do you turn your podcast into video? And we were like, hey, maybe there's something here. So my co-founder, who's the marketing sales side of the business, Baird, he went out and started selling it. And within um, about six months, we were doing, I think about a thousand in MRR. And we gradually bootstrapped this thing. We were like, this isn't venture fundable. Our goal was to pay our mortgages. And over time, we continued to grow that. Within about a year, we were doing 5,000. And by year two, we were doing about 25,000 MRR. And suddenly we realized we had a big problem. We were on a, a collision course with our growth ceiling due to extremely high churn. Yeah. Talk us through that, the growth ceiling, because uh, this is definitely something we talked about on, on the show, but it's always good to recap. Like, how did you figure out you were hitting that growth ceiling? Like, uh, what was the realization? What was that moment like? We'd had a few good months of growth. Our market for Wave was, it, Wave is mostly podcasters. So we call it like a prosumer market. It's not fully B2C, definitely not B2B. We do have some businesses, but this type of market has a naturally high rate of churn. Although ours is like some months 15, 17%, like really high. And we realized, okay, next month starting off, we're going to have to do a lot of work to offset that. And we're going to have to increase sales like crazy. And we calculated out, uh, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was your tool. It might've been like another rudimentary tool before, before you had yours up on your website, but it was like telling us that the churn ceiling or our growth ceiling was 35,000. And until that point, we hadn't really thought about churn. Churn is not a fun thing to think about as a founder. It's depressing about it's your high school girlfriend breaks up with you. You get 10 breakups a day. That's if you're looking at that, you tend to avoid that. And we've been avoiding it and focusing on acquisition channels and growth and closing more sales and, and all that stuff. And then we realized we're going to have to figure out churn and find some ways to, to lower it. So it just, at that point, you figured out, okay, uh, we're going to have to do a lot to keep this current growth. We've hitting a ceiling point now. What were some of the first things you looked then to try and do? What was your initial reaction? Like, how are we going to fix this? The first thing was, was pretty simple and it's ubiquitous these days. Most startups and, and companies will just throw a little form up. And it's probably the most simple thing you can do is have a feedback form to figure out why are people leaving, make that required and you'll get some insight. 
And the thing that blew us away, we were expecting people to be like, oh, I hate your product or it's so buggy or kind of expected the worst. But on the contrary, people were like, we love the product, but I'm not, uh, my podcast season is over and it doesn't start for another two to three months. So we used that feedback to realize, oh, maybe we can offer a pause option for these users. And within a month, we built this new part of the flow that uh, would allow these users to pause. And suddenly our, our churn dropped from you know, 13, 14% down to about 11%. Revenue churn with pause can still be high because temporarily you're losing that revenue, but the user churn dropped significantly. Yeah. And that was our first realization that, okay, like maybe there's a way that we can, just like you optimize your onboarding flow for conversions, maybe there's a way we can optimize this offboarding flow or this cancellation flow for retention. And it's worth noting that, so we did pause and okay, we're chugging along at, you know, 11, 12%, still not great by any, any standard. And that freed us up a little bit. We're like, okay, like with this, we can get to 55,000 before we hit our ceiling. And now we're at 145,000 a month. And our whole journey has been like, okay, what else can we do to optimize? Yeah, it's interesting that like from 14 to 11, that's quite a big step change though in itself as well. It's not an easy feat. And I think the one thing as well that you mentioned having the churn exit survey, another interesting point I think is also allows you to understand what's within your control and what's not. You mentioned, for example, pausing the accounts, but other things like going out of business or just not having the finances, that's not something that you could really do. You could maybe pause them again and just give them uh, free, but then that's like giving away the business for free. It's not really what you'd be doing, right. but having that signal allows you to see, okay, what's within your control to change and what's not as well. So this is something as well. I think a lot of times companies uh, make mistakes on is like they take a look at their churn numbers and they say, okay, we want to reduce it 50%, but without knowing, okay, what's causing the churn, what's within our control to actually change and what's not, what's totally out of it. So doing like an exercise like that really helps. But so this sounds obviously then like, natural progression into Churnkey. You decided, okay, this was working for us. Maybe we can productize and build this for others. Why did you decide to go ahead and start Churnkey when you had a wave? Now it's under the point. You're doing uh, around 125K MRR. Like you're figuring things out as you go and you're mm -hmm. getting to the next step. What was it that motivated you then to go and launch uh, Churnkey? So we know that a lot of other companies have similar problems. We, for a while, we were doing the open startups thing on indie hackers and a lot of other bootstrap businesses, they don't really have the resources to devote engineering time to optimizing this cancel flow. We knew how much time we'd spend on it. And when you're a small bootstrap team, anytime you take away from your core product development, it, it's not good for your business. You need to be focused on, on what you do well and specialize on that. And we realized that if, this product had existed, the one that, that we wanted, where you have a lot of these, these new capabilities that allow you to, to capture some of the users that are leaving for whatever reason, and you can satisfy them and, and keep them around. We realized that would be of high value to other companies, particularly if, it's a, if we have a no-code builder. A lot of times you've got a customer, you might have like somebody who's more in charge of customer care or retention. Even at small companies, you might have a marketing person who's using that as a dual role. They don't have time to work with the engineering team to optimize this cancel flow. But if we could productize this and make it a 15 minute install that's super simple, that has a no code builder so that anybody can create the optimal flow for you, then that seemed like something that a lot of people would want to take advantage of. 
Absolutely. And, and talk us through a little bit, because I, I was challenging you a bit before we got to, to recording the show that there's quite a lot of these tools now out in the market. And we were talking about some of the areas that you feel that you really differentiate. And I think like one of those we were talking about was not just having this exit uh, flow, but more about like the next step, like what happens after you find the reason and maybe share some of the unique ways that you think your solution is like really adding value to your customers. Sure. Yeah. And I can talk a little bit about some other solutions we tried before. So first off, we're a bare met- Wave is a Barometrics customer. And as we were building out these tools, we were like, oh, they've got this cancellation insights tool, which is a, it's a, a solid tool, but it was only giving us insights. And after a while, you, you get the insights and why people are canceling, but you're powerless. We tried, they have an automated email flow, so it can like automatically trigger emails based on cancel reasons. But nobody, once they cancel and, and a subscriber's mind, they've canceled, it's end the story. If you send them an email afterwards, I think we might've had one person ever get back to us out of maybe a thousand with one of those emails. So we realized, okay, there's something here we need to build. And we dove into to these cancellation flows and, and started thinking like, okay, there are some tools that give you feedback, but there are also, this is a critical point psychologically when a customer is making a decision, do I you know, break up, which tends to be more permanent or is there something that could keep me around? Uh, it's, I think everybody has had this experience where you're ticked off and you call Comcast or whoever your internet provider is, your internet's out and you get on the phone with somebody who's really helpful, like a really helpful agent. And suddenly you're at ease and you feel great about being a customer. Our thought was like, okay, if this works in, in a real sense where you're able to recover these people and they're not only recovered, but they become more of an advocate if we can appeal to that, maybe there is something here. So we took that approach where we were trying to meet the customer where they are. For instance, a lot of times, I'd say the most typical cancel flow that you'll see these days is like, doesn't meet my budget. I stopped using the product, technical bug reason, or too confusing. I I can't figure it out. Those last two technical issue or too confusing, I need help type thing. Those can be addressed immediately. And many companies use intercom or drift or some of these other support widgets. And we realized one thing we could do with our offboarding flow is if somebody clicks that, we can automatically pre-fill that chat bubble and get them in touch instantly with a customer support advocate. And if, if that person can respond within a minute or two, it really wows the customer who is probably a little upset or frustrated. And in, in many cases, that can totally recover the customer. And not only are you recovering them from that original lifetime value, they'll be more of an advocate after that. And they're likely to stay longer and even extend that typical LTV. Uh, That's just one example of of some of the things you can do. Just real quick, I'll give you another example. When COVID hit, I'd say March is when people really started to get a little nervous. The market crashed, there were layoffs. So a lot of our customers, and and I know many other prosumer tools and B2C tools, they were experiencing a huge uptick in churn because people were budget sensitive. They were worried and trying to cut anything they could. And we realized pretty quickly, like these customers are all citing budgetary reasons as the, the rationale for canceling. So we figured, okay, like this is hard, a hard time for everybody. If people are canceling and they're citing a budgetary reason for canceling, why don't we give them a discount? We're not going to lose money by giving them a discount. Like we still get something and the customer gets a lot too. So we said, okay, maybe this financial COVID thing lasts for six months. Let's do a six month, 30% off deal for them. And that tended to work really well. And I think customers were deeply grateful for that too, because they realized like this company is willing to go out of their way to make sure that 
their service is a little less expensive if I'm having financial issues. Yeah. And I'm interested though in this, these sort of things, like what sort of percentage rates are you seeing on people actually taking up the offers or having that conversation with support? Do you see a good number? Because in my mind is all typically when it comes to retention and churn is that someone's actively making that decision, like they just want to get it over with and done with. There's not much time to think about taking up your up on an offer or to speak to supports because you're pretty frustrated. What are some of the things you're thinking around this in terms of like how to increase the conversion rate for people actually taking these offers up and spending time? I'll say it, we have numbers that are, are pretty average across the board, across all customers. Right now, overall, a customer who enters the, the cancellation flow, we retain 30% more customers total than um, you would before the cancellation flow. So across the board in the aggregate, that's the, the big figure. As you get down to some of the different reasons, pause is one of the biggest. That's one of the biggest ones. I think it's there's a, a very high rate of people that look at pause. We have a dashboard that gives you, as your particular business, it'll give you the breakdown of each offer and what percent they fall into. After pause, the a discounted subscription tends to work very well. Particularly right now, I, I think people are still anxious and, and worried. We see a good many people who decide, all right, I'm going to go through the flow. I'm going to pick a reason. If they're presented with that pause option, about 25 to 35% of people accept the accept the, the discount option. So yeah, it, it varies based on customers. If you had a product that was more technically difficult or that might require a little more effort, I think you would probably see a higher ratio of those people being retained That's through a nice. engaged customer support rep. Yeah. Very interesting. And then where are you at now with the business? How have, like how long have you been running Turnkey? Maybe give us a little yeah. bit of information. Obviously, with uh, Wave now, you've sure. What's happening? Yeah, we've continued Turnkey as it exists today. This where it's this more holistic flow that has a lot more functionality. I also mentioned there are session recordings that you can. I know some people are really concerned about privacy. You can turn it on or turn it off, but. We, we have it on so we can actually go in and see if somebody hovers over a, the customer's leaving and they have the discount offer and it's 20% and they hover, you can see them wait and think about it. And if they click cancel anyway, maybe that's a reason to bump it. So we've had a lot of these session recording and other tools inside Wave in this turnkey prototype, if you will, that we'd been using for about a year. And last summer we were like, okay, let's go ahead and break this thing out and turn it into its own product. We've got some other companies, Baird and another partner of mine have created one called Subtitle. It's a very similar market to Wave where it's a, uh, a captioning tool for video. They had similar high churn rates and we were like, okay, like this is going to work really well for them. So in the fall, we did this private beta where we onboarded a few companies that we knew through this either personally or through the indie hackers community. And they were all seeing really good rates. And we were originally going to do this big public launch in April or May of this year and we went ahead and bumped it up to February and just brought on a lot of people and, and went out of private beta because there wasn't really a reason to do private beta anymore. The product is, it's fully cooked. It's, we're a Stripe partner and we've got everything we need to start saving people money. And I think that was the big realization we had was why are we waiting around to do the typical VC startup thing where you do the, you know, superhuman invite only private beta. These companies are actually losing money every day. They're not using turnkey. So let's get as many people hooked up with it as possible. And we're starting out the price point pretty low. It's lower than it'll probably be six months from now, but just a hundred dollars to start off with. The deal that I've made publicly on Twitter is I'll give you double your money back if you don't get ROI, because we're so confident that people are going to, uh, to save money on this approach. Remind me too, in the show notes, we'll, uh, I'll share a promo code too. So people get a, a first month off. 
for free. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. That'll be great. I know a public statement as well. Like you'll we'll double your money back if you get a positive ROI. It's definitely a powerful position to be in, especially for a product like where you can actually measure the direct impact. And from a current perspective, I think it's probably the the ultimate position to be in from your perspective, from your side. Nice. So let's see, we're running up on time. I want to save for a couple of questions. Ask every guest that joins the show. Let's imagine yeah. a hypothetical scenario now. You arrive at a new company, churn and retention is not doing great. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Nick, we need to turn things around. We have 90 days to do it. You're in charge. What do you do? First thing I'm going to do is look at the market. Are, are they B2C? Are they B2B? What's the price point? What's the LTV? Then I'm going to ask, have you guys been collecting feedback from these customers who are leaving? If not, day one, we need to get feedback and figure out where, why are these people leaving? And are they leaving for an alternative product? Are they leaving because of price? Are they leaving because they're not using it? That's going to be the most important thing. If this is a, this is a consumer market, price sensitivity is going to be a big one. And the ability to pause is also going to be a big thing. Those both affect the customer's uh, wallet. And we know for a fact that customers are going to respond to monetary incentives and you'll be able to, to retain them longer. If it's B, then we are going to lean more into customer education and making sure that the customer is onboarded properly and making sure that they're, they know how to take advantage of the product. And then in terms of recovery with B2B and, and enterprise, it may not make sense to pause because if they pause and they're not using the product regularly, they may just forget all about it. That's going to be one where we want to get even more data, maybe even get a customer on the phone and get a sense of where are things going wrong in the pipeline and how can we you know, prevent them from ever having cancellation intent. And once they get that cancellation intent or are thinking they don't need the product anymore, how do we offer them something that will get them to stay so that, that we get another chance to really please that customer? Very nice. And then last question, what's the one thing you know about churn and retention today that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? Interest is a big, just the, the nature of compound growth. I'd say in everything, this is going to be a slightly longer response than a quick one, but it's worth mentioning. Okay. I had $250,000 in student debt because I didn't get, I was a smart guy. I finished with a, a degree in economics and I, I became a lawyer, but compound interest is it's hard to wrap your mind around. And I went from borrowing 150 thousand to having 250,000 outstanding in student debt because I didn't get the, that recurring impact of compound of compounding over time. And that is directly applicable to churn. I'd say like, I'm a personal finance nerd now and a numbers nerd after a lot of what I've gone through. And, and that's why I am so interested in churn is because that same compounding is a force that you'll see in your business. And if you can recover 2% more customers over time, it's going to be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in additional revenue that, that you'd recover. Absolutely. I think that's like when you, you think about the levers for growth, it's like reducing churn and uh, pricing and packaging, like uh, because of the compounding nature of both. If you make a change to increase ARPA, that compounds for the lifetime of your business. And likewise, like with uh, retaining customers for longer, every month they're with you, like in every cohort that comes in spending more time, like it just... It's an unbelievable force of growth. Cool. So yeah, it's been a pleasure having you today, Nick. Uh, is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Like anything they should be aware of? Obviously, we'll have notes. Yeah, the- yeah, I, yeah. I was just going to mention, yeah, that there's this promo we're doing where any listener who uses the term churn FM, we'll leave, leave in the show notes, churn FM promo code. Uh, that'll get you a first month free. It takes 15 minutes to set it up. You can email me or reach out on Twitter. My email is nick at churnkey.co or just Nick Fogel, F-O-G-L-E. 
on Twitter. I'd be happy to help you get set up in about 10 or 15 minutes. It's a quick install and it's going to save you tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, depends on your business, but it'll save your business a lot of money. Very nice. Yeah, thanks. Definitely, if, if you're listening, check the show notes. You'll be able to find that otherwise, uh, churnkey.com. And you said churnfm. That's nice. I like that a little touch that you added there as well. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, uh, Nick. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today. I wish you best of luck now going forward. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.